Welcome into Buff Stampede Radio. We're pretty excited to be back with a new podcast. My name is Adam Munster Tiger. I'm the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Joined by senior writer Ryan Konigsberg. Ryan, it's been about a month since we've done a show. I'm pretty excited to be back on the air, reaching out to those fans, talking all the latest news of CU Buffs. Yeah, I mean, I love doing this. Uh, I, was, I was super excited when you asked me if, you, if I wanted to do another Buff Stampede Radio this week. So, uh, anytime we can get on here and spend an hour talking about sports and specifically Colorado sports, I, I have a great time. It's been a month since we've been on the air with you guys. A lot has happened. We've been pretty busy on BuffStampede.com reporting on different news across the board. Rick George has a roundtable with us last week. Spencer Dinwiddie gets drafted. We're in the July evaluation period for basketball recruiting. On the football side, you've got four new commits. You've got camp just around the corner. So, so much to get to in this show. We're going to start on the football side before we venture over to basketball. We're getting really close to football camp starting. It's going to, the, the players report August 1st with the first practice the next day. So, not too far off. Let's start out with that, Ryan. What are you most anxious to see? about camp are there some some aspects you're kind of wanting to hone in on early on during camp yeah I think I might end up saying this player's name a lot uh during this show but I'm I'm really just excited to watch Stefan Lufau and see the step forwards that he's made um you know you've heard a lot about uh his, his progress and this and that and you hear about him at the Manning passing camp you know being in the top eight um and so I think expectations are slowly rising for Stefan Lufau and um, I'm ex- I'm just excited to see you know did he take that step forward when it comes to his accuracy because I think most people agree that that's going to be the number one um, thing that makes this offense go is going to be his accuracy uh, throwing the football. There there are three guys. Obviously, you want to look at the freshman. We're going to get into that topic here in a minute. Three guys returning that I'm really anxious. First and foremost. The guy I'm going to be looking for when I step inside those practice fields for the first time is number 76, Jeremy Irwin. He doesn't have that boot on his foot anymore. Is he moving okay? Is this a guy that can be healthy and productive for Colorado and win that starting left tackle position? Because that is a big, big need for them. They need somebody to step into that position, and I don't think Mark Mistow is going to be the guy to do that. If... Jeremy Irwin's not healthy, then you've got to move Kaivi Crab to left tackle most likely. Then you've got to shuffle the pieces on the interior of the O-line. So can Jeremy Irwin be that guy that, that Colorado really needs him to be? I want to see Jimmy Gilbert back in pads. This was a guy that showed some promise last year as a true freshman, as a pass rusher. But he had shoulder surgery after the season, and we didn't get to see any of him during spring ball. He was out there. He was coaching up some of the guys, but wasn't participating himself. So... Can he be a guy with Derek McCartney kind of emerging as a pass rusher, a guy that can complement him on the other side? Another guy is Michael Adkins. He had a really good true freshman season. Can he assert himself as a feature back after being a little bit banged up this spring? We just didn't see the Michael Adkins we saw on the field last season this spring. Can he be a guy that jumps ahead of Christian Paolo as number one on the depth chart? Those are three guys I'm really anxious to see. I think you forgot one thing that you're anxious to see during fall camp. What's that? Me going suns out, guns out on the sidelines. I can guarantee you that is not something that I make to see during <laughs> camp. But anyways, we will be curious to look at the freshmen. Those, those are always guys you, you look to, and there's a couple guys that emerge every year early on in camp, and you go, okay, these are guys that are going to be instant impact guys. We can guess who they're going to be now. Um, just in terms of looking the part, we, we've seen on social media some pictures of these freshmen that have come in. 
a guy that you have kind of a reporter's crush on, Donovan Lee. You talk so highly of him during the recruiting process. I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Was he the number one, the signing you were most excited about? Yes, yes, he was. He looks thick. He's a shorter yeah. guy, but he looks like he can compete and not have his body wear down at this level just from a picture. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, fresh, freshman that I would be most excited for to watch is him. I and mean, I've been saying this for a while, but he he just has that factor to me, that playmaker's factor. I think he's going to make some really big plays for this team um, off the bat. So for me, I'm, I'm excited to see him because he was, I mean, when you see those pictures of him, he, he doesn't look like a, a slight guy. He, he's pretty built. So, you know, once he puts the pads on, I'm I'm kind of curious to see, you know, if he really looks like he already fits in out there, which from what we've seen yeah, from the pictures you're talking about, I think, you know, once he gets the pads on, he is going to look like he belongs out on a D1 college football field. As Mike McIntyre said, and I wrote an article about this earlier this summer, he's going to be kind of the ultimate scat back type for them. He's going to play in the backfield, uh, some in slot. We, we knew he was going to be a guy that could make people miss in the open field. Now maybe he can even break a tackle or two in the open field, which is good. The guy talking about reporter crushes, Matt, Michael Matthews was a guy that I was really high on, a defensive end coming in out of Mission Viejo. And as we expected, he looks the part too. He looks like he can Absolutely. play defensive end in the Pac-12 from day one. Might even grow into a defensive tackle here as, as we move along. So those are two guys uh, from a physical standpoint look pretty good this summer. I always I'm kind of apprehensive to buy in though we, when you hear, when you talk to the players that are working out with these true freshmen during the summer and they say player X looks great, player Y does this really well. I'm kind of gun shy now to report on that stuff now. We heard when Keenan Canty came in, I was expecting this guy to be the next greatest thing at receiver. Last summer we heard how great Jordan Gerke was throwing the ball. And he's made progress, but he really struggled during camp last year. So some of this stuff doesn't quite translate Shane over. Dillon. Shane Dillon, some of this stuff does not translate from those summer workouts to camp. When you have the coaches there, that's that's when it gets real. When you know if you make a mistake, you're going to get yelled at. Yep. As far as freshman CU needs, my dog is snoring here in the, in the background, so hopefully that's not picked up on the audio here. Yeah, that's Jackson, the Buff Stampede mascot. <laughs> who, who are the freshmen that they need to stand out? I've got a couple names. Ryan, is there anybody off the top of your head? I think one of them's got to be Dylan Keeney. Yeah, I think you know he's a guy that goes in right away, and you expect him to compete uh, for playing time at that tight end position, or else you're kind of going to end up in a position last like you were last year where you don't really have a guy who uh, you can count on to make plays at that position. Um, I think the next guy, you know, this this um, is maybe an obvious easy pick, but it's Shea Fields. For, for um, sure, yeah. They don't, I, I guess it's not 100% need. They have to have him go out there and be it. They need guys that can stretch the field. Exactly. Sure. They do. They need a guy who can go out there and stretch the field. Um, he doesn't need to be Paul Richardson from day one, and, and I don't think anyone, it would be unfair to expect him to be anywhere near that. But he does need to be a guy who they can send on a straight line and he can run past a few guys and catch a ball on the end of it. So that's the number one guy who, st who stands out to me in that position. Yeah, Nelson Spruce is a great, well-rounded receiver, but he's not that guy. Didi Goodson is shifty in the open field. He's your slot. He's not that guy. Uh, Bryce Bobo, yeah, he made some plays over the top in the spring game, but those were against walk-on cornerbacks. He's not that guy. So you still you have some really nice pieces. You have some good depth at receiver for the first time in a while. A guy like Devin Ross has got good speed. But you don't have that guy that can really get vertical if Shea Fields doesn't provide that. And so I, th I think they are banking on him to do that. On the topic of uh, reporter crushes, there's a guy that we're missing here. 
Tucker Smith. By the way, don't call him Wyatt. He's not, he goes by he's not a freshman, though. He He's a newcomer. Okay, okay. he's a newcomer, and he's going to start from day one, so they need him to step up. He will snap the ball just fine. Yes. <laughs> another an, another uh, position where Colorado kind of lacks depth is defensive tackle. They switched a few parts. Tyler Hennington went out to end. Judah Parker's inside now. I don't think – we haven't heard final word on Samson Kafavalu, but I don't think any of us are counting on him being there for Colorado. And even if he is, he might play some end as well. So inside, aside from Josh Tupo, you know, aside from Justin Solis, it sounds like he's gotten his academics in order. They need some guys there. Now Eddie Lopez comes in, and he trimmed some of the weight off his frame. Um, he, he wasn't quite as explosive on his senior film as he was. He, I think he played at 305 his senior year. His junior film, when he was at like – 265. He was extremely explosive. Now you can't play defensive tackle in the Pac-12 at 265. At least you can't be a mainstay in there. So I think you want to see him somewhere in between those two weights, showing some of that explosiveness that he had as a junior. So he could be a guy I could see playing as a true freshman. Jace Frank is another guy coming in as a defensive tackle. He's kind of on the the slimmer end for a defensive tackle. I don't know if he quite has the meat on his bones to be an instant impact guy, but I do think they need a true freshman at that position to play. Absolutely, yeah. That's one of those things, you know, um, that has been a big question aside from the offensive line is going to be the pass rush. So someone's got to go in there and at least, you know, make uh, an upperclassman step their game up. Just going back to Dylan Keeney, yes, he's going to be a tight end, but I think you're going to see him in the slot a ton, mm-hmm. really versatile, that, that move tight end role. Kind of like where they had Vincent Hobbs um, a little bit. Yeah, if you've seen pictures of of Dylan Keeney this summer coming in, clearly he's not big enough to be a traditional tight end. I just want to clarify that since we had thrown that out there as a guy we expect as a true freshman to play. You you talked about wanting to see Cepho, uh, being anxious to see him during camp. He was out at the Manning Passing Academy camp in Louisiana this past weekend. Now, he was one of eight guys out of 40 college quarterbacks that hit these three moving targets that basically got him to advance into the next round at this tournament. Oregon State's Sean Mannion won that competition. USC's Cody Kessler also, like Cepho, hit those targets. Cepho tweeted out after that that it was a confidence booster for him. Does this mean he's going to be all-conference this year because he hit three golf carts? Obviously not. But, hey, I think you take any positives going out to a camp like that. When you Even when you've got 3,000 fans in the stands to kind of up the level of competition a little bit, That that's – it's good to hear. I don't know how much stock I put into it. Yeah, uh, I, I, at least it's a confidence booster for him when he hits golf carts because when I hit golf carts, it's on the <laughs> golf course, and it's a confidence killer. But uh, I think, you know, it's, I think it can maybe give you a little hope that he has taken a step forward in terms of his accuracy. I mean, if only 8 out of 40 guys did it, it, it obviously wasn't easy. Um, all the guys that they have out there are good quarterbacks. So um, I guess, you know, I, I don't want to – you know, you know, put a medal around his neck or anything because he hit a couple golf carts that were moving. But I think you know you can you can maybe have a little excitement as a fan that okay, now he is taking that step forward, um, throwing the ball and being accurate with it. And as I said earlier, that's going to be huge for him. We're going to stick with football here for another topic, and this is something that's going to be debated a lot, I think, by a lot of people here in the coming weeks as we lead up to the season. CU could go to a bowl game this season if X happens. What needs to happen? Because I think a lot of fans would be fine with five wins, especially if they play a lot of teams closer and they continue to show progress. I don't think 
six wins is necessarily the marker for a lot of people to say here progress is being made. I think it can happen even if that doesn't happen. But this fan base is so starved to even watch. I mean, it could be another bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. It doesn't matter at this point. Any bowl. What what needs to happen for the, for them for this football team with their schedule this year to go to a bowl game? I know you've got a long a long list of things. Laundry you, list here. Yeah. So I'm gonna keep mine simple. Um, I think number one, you know, they can't be in the lower quarter of Pac-12 defenses. Um, you know, if they start giving up. 40, 50, 60 points a game again, they're, you know, that's, it's just not going to happen. I think this needs to be um, a somewhat, you know, sneakily staunchy defense that gets those stops, you know, on, on third and short and, and kind of starts to string together a defensive game where, you know, you're not expecting your offense to go out there and score every time. Um, so I think, you know, they need to be the, at the lowest, the eighth defense in the Pac-12, um, if that's going to happen. And then here comes that name again, Sefa Lufau. I think, you know, he needs to be um, the absolute, you know, biggest step forward on this team. He needs to be the guy who goes out there and shows all of a sudden, you know, he's a Pac-12 quarterback. Because um, if you, you know, I, I know there was a threat on the board ranking the Pac-12 quarterbacks going into the season. I don't know if you can put him in any of the, you know, I don't know if you can put him in the top half. Item number ten. Okay, yeah. Looking at that list. So that I think that's fair. I think that's fair to him, and I, you're not sliding him. Um, There's a lot of really good quarterbacks in this. Exactly. Conference. I think, you know, going in at ten, I think he needs to finish uh, around six. It, you know, people, that that's going to be extremely difficult. If he's number six, he's made tremendous strides as a quarterback. And I think for this team to win six games, he he has to. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, Sefo Lufa, I mean. Given how important quarterbacks are in college football, he's got to be part of this discussion. So he was definitely on my list. Looking at the schedule, they need to start start out four and one. If they're going to go to a bowl game, they have to start out. They have to win all their non-conference game, which is very possible. Uh, they're going to be favored in, in going out to UMass, even though it's a road game. They're going to be favored at home against Hawaii. Those teams, both those teams, really really struggled last year. Uh, Colorado State, uh, you know, that's always a tougher game, but they, they've won that more times than not here in recent years. So where you come in then is Arizona State comes in for the Pac-12 opener. You're probably not going to win that football game. Arizona State's really had this program's number on the football side of things. So going out to Cal on the road, and this isn't going to be the same Cal team that they faced in Boulder last year. That team was really decimated with injuries. Obviously, it was on the Buffalo's home turf last year. It's going to be much more difficult going out to Berkeley. That's When I look at the schedule and go, okay, if they're going to go to a bowl game, this is one they need to sneak out, I think that's a game they, they need to win. Because wins are going to be hard after that first half of the schedule. You talk about getting that UMass win, and obviously I, I kind of wish we had our fan correspondent, Tyler Ziskin, here to ask this question to, but... I mean, at least from a reporter side of things, do you do you trust Colorado on the road at all right now enough to, to write a W on the schedule there? No, they they'll be underdogs without question in that game, and I think. Uh, no, I'm talking UMass. Oh, UMass. Not Cal. UMass is a new FBS program. It's not even being played in their home stadium. It's going to be at Foxborough. I think the number of road games across the country where you could pencil in Colorado as a win. You could count on a hand, and I think at UMass at Foxborough is one of those. Okay. Right. I really do. Uh, That's I, not a good football team. For me right now, I'm, 
there's there's no chance I'm penciling in anything on the road. I, I don't care if they go on the road to Charleston Southern. I'm not penciling it in. Charleston Southern was a pretty good team for an FCS team. I would, and they, they they're, they're probably better than they UMass. They covered the spread of what thirty plus points. Still, yeah. I wouldn't. I still wouldn't pencil them in on the road. Now you lose to Colorado State, and you got this kind of confidence issue in the locker room. Then who knows? I really think they win that football game by double digits, though. I pencil in Colorado State before I pencil in UMass. Really? Okay, I disagree there. I'm going to go back. Another key is going back to Jeremy Irwin if he's healthy and productive at left tackle. Another thing that needs to happen for this team to be a bowl team this season, Derek McCarty, Jimmy Gilbert, Tyler Hennington, Dejon Wilson, and possibly Taron Hasselback or Michael Matthews, some combination within that group. They need to help this team not rank last in the Pac-12 in quarterback sacks again like they did last year because you have an improved secondary. If you can get a little bit of pass rush, I, I don't even think their ceiling is that high. Maybe they could be ninth or 10th in the conference in sacks, and that would be huge for this football program. And to go to your point about this defense really needed to take another step. And then again, kind of another combination situation. Some combination of Sheffield's Devin Ross and Donovan Lee needs to prove that they can be playmakers on offense because you've got some solid guys, some solid possession receivers, some solid backs, but not real big difference makers. Obviously, with losing Paul Richardson, they've got to replace some of that. So I, I don't know if all five of those things uh, – Going back to Cepho being another thing in there that, that has to happen for this team to be a bowl team. But if four of those things fall in line for Colorado, I could see this as a bowl team. Um, I'm sticking, and we'll get into this more as we get into camp. I'm sticking, I think, with my five-win prediction for this team on the season. Yeah, I think five is, uh, is a good place to put them. And we talked a little bit last year about in a, in a second year as a head coach, can you really have moral victories and I think we kind of came to the consensus of no last year. But that being said, you know, if they get five wins and they're at least competitive in all of their Pac-12 games, may, maybe minus one or two uh, against, you know, top ten teams, then <clears throat> I think, you know, a fan would have to look at this as a positive season. Before we move on to football recruiting, got to give a shout-out to CU Video, Jamie Guy and John Snelson. Their season's video, which was of course, across Colorado fan base, everybody loved that video. And it got some really high praise. They won an Emmy th this past week. That's pretty impressive. Uh, so hats off to those and guys. It's absolutely deserved. Those guys work so hard on those videos. And on top of it, they're really nice, really great guys whenever we see them around the practice field. so And all that stuff is beyond what they have to do for the coaching stuff. I mean, those absolutely. guys are grinding from that end as well. And they told us they have – some, some really cool stuff coming again this year, so I think uh, expectations will be high. Yeah, without question. So we've gotten four new verbal commitments for the football program here in the last month. Quarterback Steven Montez jumped on board on June 20th. Tim Lanat, offensive lineman from Regis Jesuit, a week and a day later. Josiah Blandon, a wide receiver from Long Beach City College on July 8th. And Alex Kinney, an in-state punter on July 9th. Let's have a little fun with this, Ryan. Let's let's rank. We've got seven commitments now on board for Colorado. Josiah Blandon, NJ Follow, TJ Fajoko, Alex Kinney, Tim Lanat, Dylan Middlemiss, and Steven Montez. So out of those guys, let's rank our top three, the guys that we are highest on, that we think are the biggest gets for Colorado. Ryan, I'm going to let you go first. All right. Um, I think this is going to be maybe a bit of an upset in some people's mind, but I'm going to go ahead and put Steven Montez as my number one 
Um, commit. No suspense. Going right to number one. Yes, I'm. I'm going one through three. I, okay. I uh, I'm confident enough in this one that I'm putting it first. Um, I think you know he. I watched him throw the ball for a whole day out at that camp, and I can't remember a high school prospect I've seen in a, in a long time, maybe if not ever, that spins the ball like he does. You know, you might as well just put it on a rope and just send it down because that thing does not move and. Um, I was really impressed with, with the way he throws the ball. Obviously, there's more to being a quarterback than you know throwing to standing targets on the other side of the field or even throwing to just routes. When you look at his film, he is athletic. He he is pretty fleet-footed for being a six-five type of guy. And I think you know um, his body is going to be able to support um, adding some weight because he is a little slight right now. Um, and luckily for him, he's not going to come in and be expected to start right away. I don't think so. Um, for him, I. Think out of all these guys, he's going to end up having um, the, the best career at Colorado. I think I have really high expectations for him. Um, going to number two here, I'm going to put um, Tim Lanott, um, the guy you know that that almost every Colorado fan was, was dying to have um, in this cycle, and um, just just an absolute huge get for them on the offensive line, starting to close down those borders um, in that position group. Of offensive line, you know where you can where you can count on Colorado to produce a couple good offensive linemen every year. Start getting some momentum. Dylan Middlemiss, you know Tim Lanott, uh, Isaac Miller, get getting some momentum. Keeping those guys in state is absolutely huge. So I don't think that can be understated. And then after that, I'm gonna um, go with uh, T.J. Fahoko at number three, just a, a machine at his position uh, out there in Utah. And I think you know he's a guy that comes in and, and makes his mark on this team. We are actually in agreement on those three guys. I have them ranked a little bit differently than you. I'm going to add a little suspense here and, and go three to one. Number three is Steven Montez. I was out there at that camp watching the same thing you were. You, you notice on film, he's got that long stride. It doesn't look like he's running that fast, but guys just aren't catching up to him. He's not going to be Marcus Mariota where he runs off 70 yards downfield. But third and eight, things break down. He will be the guy that can pick up that first down and move the chains for you. A good passer. I'm telling you, if, if he's not from El Paso, he's from, if he's from another area, he's higher rated, he's heavy, more heavily recruited. Not a lot of te teams got a chance to see him throw. He went to Oklahoma State's camp. They were really close to offering him a scholarship. They've got had some other guys. I don't know if they've uh, gotten any commitments, but they, they had some other guys they were in on a little bit earlier. But Steven Montez... Of all the quarterbacks that have committed to see you in the last 10, 11 years that I've been doing this, he's up there in terms of the guys that I'm highest on coming in. Yep. Uh, so we'll see if he lives up to it. Offensive lineman and quarterback can be two really tough positions to project. It's sometimes tough to see how that's going to translate to the next level, but saw enough from him at that camp, and his film looks really impressive as well. Was really efficient throwing the ball last year, which you need to be if you're playing in El Paso because there's not much competition there, but... Uh, very, very high on him. Number two, I've got Tim Lanott, number two on my list as well. There's kind of even this added boost from the perception standpoint of just how big it is to get an in-state guy like him on board, a guy that had Oregon, UCLA, Miami after him as well. It, it just looks really good on paper. <laughs> you know, when you, when you hand out those press releases on signing day and you've got the higher-ranked guys in state and that you had to out-recruit him over other schools, that's just impressive. He's 6'2 and a half, about 285. If he's 6'5, 
he's top 100 recruit nationally. Mm-hmm. Everyone, even interior guys now, people are looking for these these taller offensive linemen. And I think that was why a few schools passed on Tim Lana. The fact that he got some of those offers that he did being 6'2 and a half shows you how good of a technical player he is. And he's just a mean SOB, whistle to whistle. I mean, his film is really, really fun to watch. Sometimes old linemen, you want to take a nap through that. But he's just mauling people left and right. Got a chance to see him in person at Regis Jesuit and backed all that up in person. Number one on my list is TJ Fajoko. I don't care if you're playing tag football in the backyard, counting Mississippis. If you can get 34 quarterback sacks in a season, that's really impressive. And he did that. Now, Utah is not the – it's better than El Paso, but it's not on the, on the par with California and Florida. But he played at uh, – he plays at Cottonwood Senior. That's one of the better programs in that state. He plays in Salt Lake City. So he's getting some decent competition to be able to put up those numbers. And he had huge sack numbers as a freshman and sophomore before that. So it was no fluke. Not that 34 sacks could be a fluke on any level. But he went out to the L.A. Nike camp, was nearly unblockable there, won almost all of his one-on-ones, went out to the all-poly camp. there. I was told there was only one offensive lineman at that entire camp that could even slow him down. So he's a guy, again, I think if he's in a metro hub, He's probably getting those offers now. He's kind of that falls into that tweener mold. Those guys can work in college. Yep. You see it all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be six five to be a successful defensive end. Michael Sam last year playing from Mizzou was kind of that hybrid and was the SEC Player of the Year as a short guy. You see that, and that's one thing that uh, Mike McIntyre actually was talking about with Taron Hasselback over the holidays when they hadn't offered Taron Hasselback. He kept seeing all these guys, Dwight Freeney in the NFL, all these six one guys that can be really good pass rushers. And so they they finally offered Taron Hasselback, and I think T.J. Fajoko is Taron Hasselback up to another level. I think. Yep. I'm re- I really 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 think he's going to have a successful career, and I think there's still going to be some schools maybe when they miss out on their top defensive end guys their okay. targets are going to come calling and that's so, what i was going to ask you how confident are you that he stays on board this he's, i mean that's a long time away he's as solidly committed as you can be but you just never know you never know his older brother who is actually going on his mission uh his mormon mission in august he leaves for oakland for that for two years he's planning to walk on at cu when he's done with that so his family is all in on board with colorado tj grew up a dallas cowboys fan and so the fact that his Future position coach Jim Jeffcoat, you know, is one of the Cowboys' great pass rushers of all time. I mean, that was another thing that sold him. So I, I want to put a high percentage chance on him signing, but you just don't know who's going to come calling. Yeah, I think one of the things that plays into Colorado's favor here is he's not from one of those states that has the big football power. That if they all of a sudden come calling, you know, he's going to be gone. It's not like you have to worry about Utah coming and picking him off. Um, I think you know. He's, you don't have to worry about some big dream school that he has coming and taking him away. We've seen a lot of Colorado's targets either commit to them or commit elsewhere here in recent weeks. So you've kind of seen a lot of kids that want to get this decision out of the way before their senior year. And a lot of these schools start their camps in, in August, so it's kind of getting to that point. There are three other guys that I'm going to throw out that are uncommitted. 
that Colorado has offered, and you should keep a close eye here in the coming weeks. Number one is Tony Brown, a three-star wide receiver prospect from La Mirada High School. He's coached by former Buff quarterback Mike Machete out there. He ran a 4-4-140 during the testing portion of one of the Buffalo satellite camps. He was actually out at the University of Redlands in June. That was the best 40 time of all the participants. So we, were, we weren't doing the Mon time 40s. Though. There weren't a bunch of 4-3s and 4-2s. So that 4-4 is a legit uh, time. Right now, uh, Tony Brown has seven other offers, and he's really not in a rush to decide. So he's a guy that you're, you'll probably bring out for an official visit and won't need to quite get on campus here this summer because um, he is not in a rush to decide. Right now, his top three are Washington State, Utah, and Colorado. Another guy to keep an eye on is three-star tight end recruit Matt Pistone from Yuma, Arizona. He didn't have CU, actually, in his top five at the beginning of the summer. I ran that recruiting stock exchange feature, and he was trending downward. But then, not too long ago, he came out and uh, mentioned that he wants to come out and visit Colorado here in the coming weeks before he decides. He's one of those kids that does want to get the decision out of the way before his senior year. Northwestern, Vanderbilt, Oregon State, Washington, and Boise State are other colleges battling for his signature. I know Colorado is really high on him. They could use, they got good move tight end to sign last year to get a, a kid like Matt Pistone. It could be kind of more of a traditional tight end. This cycle would be a big get. I would say Colorado's kind of on the outside looking in, but you're bringing him out on campus. You've always got a puncher's chance if you get a kid on campus at, uh, at CU. And lastly, I want to bring up Tevis Bartlett. Ryan, you got a chance to interview him. He is only a three-star prospect on Rivals, but honestly, that's only because he lives in Cheyenne, yeah. Wyoming, the least populated state. He actually got an offer from Oregon recently, so that's going to make his recruiting interesting. He's been high on Colorado, but this is a kid that loves Wyoming, and he's even said that Cowboys are number one on his list. But I have to wonder, as this process goes on, and he thinks about the type of level of football that he's going to play at, is he going to want to go to a power conference program? Now, this is a kid that's leaning towards Wyoming right now. If he wants to play for a power conference, maybe he'll lean towards a Colorado because it's still somewhat close to home. Or maybe... I mean, that's a short drive from for his family from, from Cheyenne to Boulder. I mean, that wouldn't be an issue at all for them to come to any game. Now, Oregon doesn't really lose recruiting battles to Wyoming and Colorado, at least not recently. So... That would be strange for him to turn that down, but I don't know. I've talked to him a few times. Ryan, you talked to him. I don't know if you agree. He doesn't seem like a Oregon type of kid. Nah, he's you know he's a small town kid from Wyoming, and he he loves Wyoming. I think you know something I thought was really cool was reading our board after my interview with him, where he's he, you know he blatantly states you know Wyoming's my favorite. I you know. From all the fans who expect uh, all the Colorado uh, players to stay home, there was a lot of respect out there for him. You know, if he wants to stay home, good for him. You know, that's kind of the. They might not feel that way if it actually goes down like that's that. That's true. But but I, I was happy to see. You know, you can't you can't hold anything against a kid if he's you know this big time prospect and he doesn't want to leave his his hometown. He wants to stay with his family. But I think you know I think he's a kid. He has I think he has NFL potential and. It doesn't hurt to uh, come down and play in the Pac-12 um, if you're trying to make it to the next level. Some schools are talking about Tevis Bartlett playing quarterback for them. He accounted nearly 3,000 yards of offense last season. But I th I've got to think this is a linebacker. You're talking about a nationally ranked wrestler. You look at his frame. He's got good size. 
Uh, I think that's where he's going to end up playing in college, no matter what these these schools are telling him. Yeah, and he he when uh, when I interviewed him, I, I didn't I didn't catch uh, any sense that he was fabricating anything. He said, "I just want to play football, man. Uh, I don't." You know, I don't care where they put me. So, uh, obviously, I think Colorado having a quarterback in this cycle is definitely looking at him more at linebacker, and I don't think that's going to hurt their chances with him. You look at all these recruits, and there's some guys you just go, I can't see how this guy fails at the next level. Tevis Bartlett's one of those guys. Absolutely. Moving on, I hope you guys all get a chance to check out my post-spring evaluation period Colorado Top 30 list. I got a chance to see almost every kid on that list in person a lot of those kids multiple times this is obviously class of 2015 in-state recruits only and you look at that list with Alex Kinney making his decision here recently each of the top five ranked recruits on my list have already made their college decision obviously three of them have verbally committed to Colorado while Eric Lee Jr. and Avery Anderson are committed to Nebraska that begs the question is CU done recruiting in-state this cycle there's a lot of guys that are intriguing prospects on that list, but they haven't really established themselves as power conference recruits. Now, that could happen this fall. There's a lot of guys that Colorado had at, up at their camp, a lot of guys on my top 30 list that they're going to evaluate this fall. Definitely number six on my list, defensive tackle Frank Umu, a def, uh, defensive tackle from Heritage High School, is a guy that's going to be on their radar. He was at two of those CU camps. I don't know, you know, if he is going to be a CU level recruit, but I really, really like him. I've seen him work out at Matt McChesney's place down at 6-0 strength. Really mobile for his size. It has really kind of transformed his body this offseason. He's one of those kids, you try not to get rooting for these kids too much, but I, I just want him to go ball out these first three games, get that Colorado offer, and then you look at this cycle. Colorado needs some defense tackles, so if you can find one in your backyard, that's a good situation. Number seven on my list, Milo Hall from Cherry Creek. Number eight, safety Jalen Rakeem Moore from Denver East. Number nine, quarterback Tommy Lazaro from Pine Creek. Number 11, defensive back James Jones, the fourth from Mullen. And just on and on, all these guys camped at CU this summer. There's uh, most of the top 30 camped at Colorado. There's a few exceptions on there. I, just none of these guys jump out at me right now as guys Colorado has to offer for right now. But I guarantee you one or two of these guys is going to emerge as a power conference guy this fall. So let's move on and uh, talk a little bit about the factor fiction piece we ran. Those are some of the more popular pieces that we run on the Stampede Elite message board. We had four questions surrounding the commitment of Tim Lanat. And the only consensus among all those questions and it was Tyler Ziskin, our fan correspondent, Ryan, and myself that contributed to this article. The only thing we agreed on was that Tim Lanat will start for Colorado by his redshirt sophomore season. We were kind of in disagreement about the other topics. Yeah, I think maybe if I could go back, I might make that question his redshirt freshman season because I think that might have caused a little more debate there maybe. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. You've talked about how he doesn't have that exactly prototypical size that you know the, the really big schools are um, counting on. So he's as big as Daniel Munier is right now, though. Exactly. I, I was just going to use the name Daniel Munier um, in, in terms of he he's there. You know, he he could get uh, a little bit you know stronger. Um, he's yeah, he, they're at the same weight, but I think Daniel Munier is a little bit more uh, imposing right now in terms of strength. Um, but I thought as a fifth-year senior, though, uh, exactly, as compared exactly. to a high school senior, yeah. Exactly. Um, 
you know, some of the other questions on here, was this the biggest commitment? Um, Tyler and I both said yes. You, you said no. Shea Fields. I mean, you, he headlined that last class, and there's no debate. I think this year we, we just we ranked out our, our favorite commits, and neither one of us had had Tim Lodnott number one. Now we had him number two on our list, but I, that's an easy answer for me. Yeah, for me, it's just no one went no one went into last year's cycle saying we have to get Shea Fields. And I think they the, said we need to get a replacement do, for Paul Richardson, but and that was the guy. To, yeah, to me, it's just, there's just a little bit more meaning between, behind. You know, this is our this is the target that you know CU has to get in this cycle because he's you know, this guy that's in the backyard. And I think just the fact, just the public got, perception around it in terms of going out and getting that guy that they said they had to get that's in their backyard that you know every fan wanted. I just think that has a little more meaning to me. I, I do – I get where in-state recruiting, like, is a big deal. It's a feel-good situation. But, like, you get Cade Coat from Arizona, who we saw at the first summer camp, to, to commit instead of Tim Lanat. He could end up being just as good of offensive lineman in college. And I don't think people are going to be really freaking out. Whereas last year, if they don't get Shea Fields and they get some – if they, they have to settle, settle on a guy like Sam Martin at receiver, you're not getting any – Anywhere near as much excitement on signing day. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I know where you, I see your point. I just, I think. But you won't give in. No, I'm not giving <laughs> in. Of course not. It's just, to me, you know, it, it has, it goes deeper than just on the football field. I think it goes into um, public perception of, of the team. And you know, when you get, you know, even nine news to give you a little, you know, clipper or seven news to say, oh look, you know, see so you went out and got this in-state prospect. Um, from Regis High School, you know, maybe there's a fan out there that says, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe this uh, this staff is really going after Colorado kids, and maybe I might head up to Folsom Field this year. It, it, is, it is cool. You, you look at the rankings, and they've got three of the top five, especially kind of rallying here after the, the two two of the top guys commit to Nebraska early on. Yeah. I think that I, if, if – Let's say Avery Anderson was committed to still Arizona State and Eric Lee was to Nebraska. For some reason, that wouldn't feel like as daunting a need to like fill up that top five with a few Colorado commits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that definitely had people's eyes. You know, all of a sudden, another guy commits to Nebraska. And, you and know, Austin Conway, him. shoot, if he had played football, Nebraska yeah. would have been tough to beat out for his signature if you – because they were coming after him pretty hard from football. But he's actually committed to Wyoming now. If you, you guys hadn't seen that, it's uh, – Shyatt's done a great job of recruiting Colorado up there. And I think I said this the night that Austin committed. I think there's going to be some some schools that regret uh, not offering Austin. Well, we're behind schedule, so let's move along. Ryan, we were both out at the Kazadi Classic. It's a golf tournament put on by SID David Platty last week. Uh, a lot of people might not know how good a golfer you are. You shot, was it a 76? 76, yeah. 76, uh, impressive. I, I, wanted, I wanted to bring home the title for, for buffstampede.com, but I fell two spots short, so I'll get it next year, guys. I was just happy to break 100. It was the second time I played golf in the last decade. Looking actually, at your scorecard, I was impressed. Uh, you don't just go out there and, and put as many pars and even bogeys on the board as you did when you don't play that often. The problem was then the other holes maybe that you were not looking at. The ball was in Pelican, one of the Pelican Lakes. There actually are it's the golf course is named Pelican Lakes. There actually are pelicans out there in Colorado. I was actually kind of shocked. Do they like fly these birds in Colorado? I, I think the birds can fly themselves. <laughs> from where? I don't know. Where do these pelicans come from. I don't know, but that was cool. 
I think it was, uh, I don't remember which hole it was, but there was uh, a couple of logs right off the beach, and there was like 10 pelicans on each one of them. Now, they don't react very fondly when you hit the ball in the water by them, <laughs> as I found out. But they had these geese, these like herds of geese out there, and literally you'd hit the ball inches away from one, and it doesn't even move. Didn't even the, the geese out there don't care apparently. Yeah, uh, suicidal geese. <laughs> but anyways, Rick George had a roundtable after this golf event, and he had some news for us. He said within the next few weeks, that right now they're they're working on completing a gift that's going to put them over the forty-seven million dollar mark, which is the mark that they needed to need, uh, get to. Uh, basically, the CU Board of Regents had said, okay, we approve of this facilities upgrade, this project, but you've got to raise one-third of the total cost. And then Rick George said they are going to keep fundraising even after they get to this $47 million mark. But a lot, but the, basically the remaining balance for the most part is going to be paid for by bonds. Some other things that came out of that, uh, Rick George talked about the timetable for the facilities project is, is a little bit more fluid now. Actually, I should say it is fluid now following the approval of a parking garage, which is going to be located under the practice facility. He said he inherited uh, athletic department deficit of a little over $5.6 million in his first 10 months, his first fiscal year on the job, has gotten that number down under $4 million. They've already submitted a, a balanced budget for, for, to the CU uh, Board of Regents for this coming fiscal year. Basically, made a uh, He's always made a point when I've talked to him, Rick George, since he took over, about we are going to be fiscally responsible. I asked him, are you going to take students out to the Pac-12 tournament, to NCAA tournament? He said, we would love to do that, but we are going to be fiscally responsible. So it's kind of hard to criticize that when, when you look at the books and, and you want to get in the black. You don't want this program long-term being in the red. So, so that's what people talked about when they when Colorado was in the search for an athletic director. Everyone says we want a businessman. We want a businessman who's running. Well, Rick George is running this athletic department like a business, and like you said, you know, you can't necessarily get on him too hard for that. He said season ticket numbers for football are ahead of where they were last year at this time, but not significantly. He did mention they he realizes they need to upgrade their sound system in Folsom Field, which I know. Uh, it's music to the ears of, of Colorado fans. Of everyone. I mean, even you and I have to sit there and listen to them play their warm-up music as we're in the... Uh... That's true. <laughs> so uh, what else did he talk about? He talked about uh, the fact that they're putting together a plan right now because on August 1st, uh, they're going to allow, be allowed to basically feed their student-athletes as much as they want. There's no more restrictions. In the past, training table was one meal a day, and then you have these kids fending for themselves. I'm sure probably going to McDonald's and, you know, not not good nutrition. Now they can finally put really good food in these guys throughout the day. Even walk-ons can take part in this now. So they're working on a plan. It's not going to be just the uh, Dow Ward Center. He, he mentioned that the fact that they're going to have uh, food stations over at the Coors Event Center as well. I don't think people realize how much these football players need to eat. If you're One, trying to gain weight, I mean, yeah. some of these guys, five, six – Thousand calories. Yeah, I watched. I, I saw uh, Clay Norgard at a at a summer barbecue this summer, and I watched him put down. I think it was six burgers and three hot dogs, and he was like, "So what's for dessert?" Like, <laughs> they, those guys can eat so much food. So the fact that you know they can just feed them as much as they want now and keep it at least on the healthy side for them, it, I think it's really, really big and really good step forward for college athletics. I would think the only people that aren't happy are the pizza delivery folks in Boulder <laughs> because they're probably not going to get as many calls now. Or uh, or Chinese. 
or uh, they uh, they order subs. Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's. Yeah, yeah. There's Jimmy like John's literally a award. delivery delivery every like ten seconds up there. So and it's good. These kids can save some money now too. Absolutely. What, what, did anything else stand out to you about that roundtable? I know you had uh, talked to him about some of the student issues for football games. Yeah, um, we, he talked a little bit about um, getting the students into the game on time, which prompted me to ask him, you know, is there a way to let the students go in at different entrances? Because what happens is all these students, they want to go out there and they want to tailgate till the very, very, very last second and, you know, get as many drinks as them as they can before they head in there. Of Coca-Cola. Yes, yes. And, uh... Then they all, everyone wants to go in, you know, five minutes before kickoff, and there's one entrance, and it's it's narrow, and they're almost single file, you know, all the way up to the hill, might as well be the, the line, and they're in there swiping cards, and the cards don't swipe half the time, and then they got to go to another line. So I asked him, you know, is there a way that, you know, you can just give um, the attendants around the stadium the same technology to be able to swipe the buff one cards? And, and he said, you know, that that is something we're looking at. Um he said, I don't really know why it's only been one entrance. That wasn't, that's been that way since before I was got here, before he got here. But uh, he said, you know, that's not set in stone. He's looking into a way to make it easier for the students, which I think um, the students will appreciate a lot. And I know it's something that the fans talk about a lot on our board is getting them in there on time and quicker. So that's, that, I think that is big news, something that did stand out to me. I got the sense, though, that probably isn't going to be put in place for this season. I think it's going to be status quo from that end. But it did sound like he didn't. He kind of inherited that situation, and he's had to be kind of focused on this facilities project and fundraising. It's there's only so many hours in a day. I'm sure he gets a thousand emails a day. Can you please fix this? Can you please fix this? Oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. And I'm sure he has a a long list, you know, somewhere on his desk. But obviously, number one is that fundraising, and he's done a great job with it. Well, yeah, we we threw it out to the Stampede Elite message board, and, and I wanted to – I kind of had an idea how this was going to shake out, but I just wanted to see if, if it was going to hold true to what I thought. And I, I asked people, grade Rick George for his performance his first 10 months on the job. I mean, a lot of people forget he rolled into town when camp was going on last year. So he Almost was, exactly a year ago from right now, because I remember Will was, and I were on our way to uh, – uh, cover AAU. He was named the athletic director almost uh, exactly a year ago, but then he went back to Texas, had some things to finish up with the Rangers. He didn't roll into Colorado until early August. Okay. I, I asked fans to grade his performance. 83.6% gave him an A. 15.6% gave him a B. He got no C's. And there were a lot of people that voted on this. 0.4% gave him a D. There was one vote there and one vote for an F. I've got to wonder if one of those D or F votes came from somebody with the last name Bone, because <laughs> I don't know how you give the guy an F. No, that, that's just, we have too many of those people on our board who just want to mess around <laughs> with our stats. I mean, you look at it, Colorado had never raised more than $15 million in donations in a year, and they're, like I mentioned earlier, they're going to reach that $47 million mark. Now, $10 million of that came from the CU Foundation. And I think a million or two from Bruce Benson, the, the president, even if you take that away, you're still talking about $35 million that he's raised. Absolutely. That's a whole bunch of money. So I don't I don't know how you give him a D or an F. Ryan, what grade do you give him? Uh, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit before, and I don't want this to come off at all that I'm saying, you know, Rick George hasn't done an incredible job. I would put him at a B 
based on you know category by category. I think he's done. If you're ta if you ask me, you know, Greg George's fundraising, I'm giving an A plus 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 plus. But I think a little bit with the fan outreach, just just based off the fact that I don't think he has that uh, so much time on his hands. You know, there's only 24 hours in a day, and he has to allocate that. I think you know he could go a little further in, in reaching out to the students and reaching out to just fans that aren't you know giving him money towards this. Just you know, just to, you know, build that public relationship. That's the only thing that makes me give him from an A to a, a B plus, I'll say. I won't even call it a B because I, th I think he's done a really incredible job. But just he, he hasn't had enough time to cover everything, and that's the only thing that keeps me away from giving him, you know, just a straight-up A. I think to be able to put this facilities project together, get it approved, raise $47 million, you've got to be kind of – tunnel vision in on this and, and there's only so many hours in a day you can't you start putting too much on your plate and other areas are going to suffer it was not just a want it was a need to get this facilities project together so if a few outreach things got neglected i'm fine with that i'm giving him an a now long term we're going to get into that a little bit there's other things that need to be done but just for the first 10 months he did exactly what he needed to get done and to, so that to me is an a yeah, I know. I, I can't disagree with, with someone giving him an A. Let's move on to football scheduling. This is a hot topic always on the Stampede Elite message board. Not too long ago, Colorado added Idaho State to their schedule for 2016, and they added Northern Colorado. Now, they're set to play at Michigan in 2016. That was a Mike Bone decision to create some revenue. You're rolling your eyes, Ryan. They're going to go uh, against Nebraska in 2018 and 2019. I think everybody's already got that circle on their yeah. calendar. I mean, that's going to be really fun. But the 2015 and 2017 non-conference schedules do not feature any power conference opponents. There's fans that want CU playing the Michigans. They want them playing these top-tier teams, even though they have to play a nine-game conference schedule in a very loaded Pac-12. I strongly disagree. I say you schedule as many wins as you possibly can, Tries especially now that you're getting some of the financial things shored up. I think that's... I mean, it's the only reason that Mike Bone had them play at Ohio State. That's the only reason they're going to play at Michigan. If you're getting that financial stuff taken care of, get as many wins in the non-conference as you can, especially because you got to play that CSU game every year, at least for right now. They're still it's still on the schedule. Absolutely. I agree. I, it drives me insane when I see someone, you know, get out there with the Coach Mack quote, you know, anyone, anywhere, any day. I'm, this, isn't the nine, this isn't the early 90s, so you can't be anyone, anywhere, any day. There's most a lot of teams they they won't be anywhere anytime any day. Even SCC teams schedule FCS opponents. Exactly, and, and they don't play a nine conference. This isn't yeah. This isn't schedule. basketball where strength of schedule is going to keep you from getting a higher seed in the tournament. They're not competing for a national championship where you know someone might say, oh well they're undefeated but uh, they played these three you know uh, cupcakes so they're not as good as this this team that played you know a high. There's no reason like you said to not just Schedule in some wins. Get your team ready. It's like a little preseason. You know, get ready for Confidence. a nine-game conference schedule. That's daunting. So don't don't tell me any time, anywhere, any day. That drives me insane. Long-term expectations for Rick George in this athletic department. I've got a list of some things that over time need to, need to be accomplished. Is there anything you want to throw out there first? Go ahead, and I'll follow you. Okay, well, obviously, first and foremost, you got to get this facilities project completed. The dates in terms of completion is kind of fluid at this point, as we expected as soon as that parking garage was approved. And at some point, when your financial situation is better, you can start to do some of those things for the students like you did. 
pay for them to go to the Pac-12 tournament, to NCAA games, to bowl games if the football program improves. I think at some point it would be great for them to bring that back because I, I think that was a really good idea that Mike Bone had for this athletic department. And uh, you need to make Tad Boyle happy in every level, whether it's his salary, whether it's improvements to Coors Event Center, which I know has to be done at some point here in the future. Whatever it takes, you make him happy because he's going to continue to have other colleges come after him every year when these openings come. You just want him to be happy. Uh, yeah, I don't care if you got to send an intern to make him be- breakfast in bed every day. If he likes Snapple, make sure his <laughs> mini fridge is filled. Anything, everything to make him happy. Uh, take a wrecking ball to Balch Fieldhouse at some point in the future. That thing is an eyesore. It smells inside. The carpet is brown or whatever you want to call it, yeah. track surface. I understand that can't be done right now. You've got to focus on getting these facilities built, but I think that thing just needs to be demolished. I don't think renovation – I don't. I think Balch Fieldhouse is beyond renovation. So that's one thing at some point in the future. Allow beer sales for football games. Uh, this is You're seeing this happening at some schools? I'm – Confuses me why that you know I, he he was asked this recently and he kind of bounced it as it's not it's not a priority right now I just don't understand I know it's under consideration why. I know for a fact it's under consideration and it's something that will most likely get done but not probably within the next couple of years when they do get this uh, new indoor facility I heard there's going to be a lot of tailgating kind of like what you see in the Coors Event Center with the, the practice facilities mm-hmm. where they serve beer that's a step forward in the right direction uh, yeah, I agree I just. It just doesn't make sense to me why there's not be- the, the amount of money that you will make off selling beer in this stadium is so worth the few incidents you're going to have uh, of someone getting too drunk in the stands, or if that's even your biggest concern. If you if you want to drink for these games, if you can't drink inside the stadium, you're going to get bombed beforehand. You're going to be coming down off that late in the game. It's actually almost more of a negative than anything, especially because you, you feel like you got to load up. Also, yeah, and also people they allow you to leave at halftime, so people go out at halftime, you know, they run back to their cars. And sometimes and they, they don't come back, too. Exactly, and if you're, if you know, you're already, the, the game's getting out of hand, or, you know, even if they do come back, halftime's short when you leave the stadium. They, they might miss half of the third quarter, which hopefully for, for Colorado is an is a integral part of the game. Got a question for you. Do you think most fans would compromise it with 3-2 beer? Yeah. Absolutely. As long as there's kind of a variety. Yeah, I think, you know, people just want to have a beer in their hand, sip a beer while they watch football. It's what you do when you're at home. You want to be able to go to the stadium, sit in your seat, and drink a beer. I mean, they, no one's going to be thrilled they're drinking 3-2 beer. But I think, you know, embrace the craft beer that we have in Colorado. There's so, Even just in Boulder, there's so many good craft beer, beer breweries. Have little, like, stands for each one of them, and people can go through and taste them all the the visiting fans can come in and say oh look boulder beer you know i want to try that i know when you know when i go to a different state i want to try their local breweries so embrace that i i don't understand how this isn't already done another thing from a selfish standpoint at some point i hope they redo the press box i thought you were going to say have beer in the press box well that too (laughs) they used to not too long ago i got on this beat at the wrong time when they stopped serving (laughs) beer it was funny though the the first press box where they served beer that i was ever covering a game at was oregon state this past season i'm sitting there writing and they didn't even ask me they just said a beer i was like okay corvallis gets gets a thumbs up for that one that's cool so get your hemingway on 
And obviously, Rick George has to continue. He's got to be open and accessible by boosters, media, fans. You kind of criticize that a little bit. From, from the media standpoint, I appreciate him as athletic director because he will answer the question that you ask. Absolutely. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, when he's gotten the chance to, to uh, outreach towards the fans, I think he's done a great job. I, I remember posting on the board and on Twitter um, during one of the games last year, I was um, at my family's tailgate, and there – this was one of the smaller ones. There's only it was early in the day. There's only a few of us sitting there, and you know Rick came down and, and pulled up a chair and sat down and just started talking um, as if you know he was just another one of the guys and, and he felt fielded everyone's questions. You know, CSU at Mile High. You know, what do you guys think about that? And he of course it was CU fans. He got an overwhelmingly we hate it response, and <laughs> he was very cordial and saying you know I'm looking into that. I, I want to see what our other options are there. So I think when he's gotten the chance, he's good. It's not that it's like a, a character flaw that he doesn't know how to reach out to the fans. Is I just think you know once he starts getting more time, um, keep doing what he's doing and do a little more of it. I think that'll be good. Well, that's good discussion on Rick George. I, I think we've done a good job recapping his first year. We've got to dive into some men's basketball before we uh, break the hour mark here on our show because there's some stuff that's been happening there. First off, Ryan, you did a two-part uh, series with Josh Scott. You spent some quality time with the Buffs big man talking about a variety of topics. Just hit a few things that, that really stood out to you about your time sitting down and talking with Josh Scott. Yeah, it was really cool for me um, to be able to just sit down and put the recorder in the middle of us. And, and we just had a conversation. You know, I, I don't even want to call it an interview. Um, and it was cool for me because, he, you know, uh, he told me, I, I told Andrew, if it wasn't you, I wouldn't have done this. So that, that, that was cool for me. But um, I think there was a lot of really good stuff that he said in that um, I thought it was – Cool for him to say, you know, that the the uh, the NBA isn't the first thing on his mind right now. You know, um, a lot. I think that's a conversation that goes around, and I think a lot of fans aren't too worried about him leaving for the NBA. But to me, in that, from what I can read through that, he kind of clarified. I, I think I'm. He thinks he's going to be back for his senior year. You know, he talks about playing with Josh Fortune. Obviously, that's only possible if he's here for his senior year. So. That was cool uh, for him to say. I thought it, I also liked him saying, you know, I don't care if people don't say I'm athletic or whatever they want to say for the reasons I'm not going to the next level. When I get there, I'm going to be smiling down on him. Um, other things, um, I thought it was funny how he's, you know, he really tried to stop me when I brought up the Tim Duncan comparison, and then I asked him, so, you know, if if you were to compare yourself to someone who would it be, he's like, well, it'd probably be Tim Duncan. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, I thought he had some good things to say about Josh Fortune and the other newcomers coming in. Uh, what, is there anything that stood out to you? Well, with Josh Scott, uh, you know, obviously he's put on some really good weight. Uh, he's improved in so many areas, but there is still so much for him to improve on before he takes that step to the next level. He's a pretty decent shooter. He, I think he needs to be more aggressive in that standpoint and not hesitate. When that ball comes to him, put up that shot because, you know, if he passes that up, they're probably not going to get as high percentage shot from somebody else. So I want to see him more aggressive there. Obviously, everybody knows that see this, has seen this team play that double teams are an issue for him because now he is this known commodity. He was a first-team all-conference last year. Every team, there's been some teams like UCLA that double him on the catch. I expect every team, with Dinwiddie not on the team anymore, to do that from the go. They're going to look at the Pittsburgh game from the NCAA tournament, and they're going to see that as kind of a blueprint to try to guard him. And so... That's something he needs to get fixed and, and improve on. Passing out of those double teams, 
breaking those double teams, get, getting a shot off still before he can move on to the NBA. I don't think there's any question. He's he's quite NBA ready at this point. Yeah, going to uh, back to his shot, I, th- I definitely thought it was big for him to say that he's really working hard to get the green light from Coach Boyle on shooting a three-pointer. I know I've played with him uh, a couple times at, just at the CU Rec Center, and he can rein in threes. I think I watched him hit seven or eight in a row, you know, in game. Obviously, he's not being guarded by Pac-12 defense. Sure. He might be be guarded by you know, not senior a, writer yeah, Buff Stampede. Ten thousand fans watching yeah. that always makes it. But the fact that he's capable of knocking it down and he's working really hard to be able to have that shot in, in his repertoire could be a, a big offensive development for them. If he can shoot thirty-five percent or better from long range, then you should get the green light. And I think Josh Scott can make that percentage. Absolutely. And then finally, I, I uh, when we talked about his personal goals, you know. He had, you know, he wanted to be all-conference. He wants to maybe get a, a vie for a, an All-American spot. But I didn't even have to ask him team goals. I didn't say anything about it. He just went straight into it. Sweet 16 or bust. You know, there's no no more uh, losing early in the tournament. I thought that was uh, pretty interesting for him not even to have to be prompted into that question. And he wanted, he wanted to get it out there. Sweet 16 or bust. I, everybody in the program, even Ty Boyle, have said, okay, that's what we've got to do now uh, based off the success we have, but having not been able to turn that corner. You mentioned Josh Fortune. Obviously, the news of him transferring into Colorado from Providence where he played, uh, I believe he was a starter there last year, one of their top guys. Really, as the season went on, he became one of their go-to guys, uh, going to be a shooting guard. Is he a Skia Booker's replacement looking a year ahead from now? I think so. I think that's a, a good comparison. Um, I don't think he's not the same player. Yeah, but. no. But he's. I was going to say he's not a ball handler in the in the way that Ski is. Um, not as quick getting to the rack, but he's going to be a guy that I think will help make that transition nice and smooth. You know, Ski is going to be a guy who's a three year starter at that position. For him to leave, you got to have someone there ready to step in, and I think Josh Fortune will be um, a really good player for that. I'm just going to read what um, Josh had to say about. Um, Mr. Fortune. So the Josh first, Scott. Yeah, Josh Scott, sorry. He says, the first thing he knows about him is he's very passionate about the game. He's all about working hard at it. XT and I are very much workaholics. We love people that love to work hard as well. Um, it's exciting to see a player come in with that type of mentality. When you start to get to know him, he's a nice guy, friendly guy. When you play with him, he can shoot. He can handle the ball. He'd probably either be our best or one of our best shooter on the team as soon as he comes in. So to have that weapon next to you, I'm pretty pumped. I was very excited because with double teams, it helps out a ton to have as many shooters on the floor as possible. Josh was very, he was beaming talking about the fact that they got Josh Fortune in there. Um, and Josh is one of the number one guys on the team that I would trust his you know evaluation of a player like that. You interviewed Josh Fortune. What what stood out to you about his personality? Um, you know, he I, I definitely got the same sense um, that Josh got about him. You know, being a fan and a student and just very passionate about the game of basketball. Um, you know, when I talked to him about having to sit out a year, if that was going to drive him crazy, he said, no, I just, I'm going to have a year to just work on my game and, and get better at every every facet of the game. You know, he didn't have a, a redshirt year. So the fact that he gets to now just focus in, he seemed he seemed actually excited about that. You know, obviously he wanted, he's going to want to be on the court once the season starts. But he seemed very happy to have a year to get settled in in Colorado, to get his grades, um, you know, great, and just to work on his game. So that stood out to me a lot. Um, other than that, I thought it was cool. You know, he he really liked um, 
the coaching staff. You know, he said that's the number one thing. I love the way that this coaching staff develops their guards. Um, and I think that's kind of a um, I don't know, I don't know what the word kind of wise beyond your years to really look into how a coaching staff develops their guard. I don't know if too many people look that deeply into that when they're choosing a school. Obviously, they see guys going to the NBA, but he talked about you know the way they develop their guards, and he, you know he says they really make them into complete players. So I thought that was cool of him to um, to notice that and have that be something that was really big on helping him make his decision. I remember talking with Colin Brown about this. You look at the recruiting process different, so differently when you're transferring after you've gone through it as a high school recruit, and you you have a much more mature outlook on it, and, and you do you you want to go for the right reasons, and it sounds like he did that. And also, like Carlin Brown, it really benefits. Like the year he was sitting out, Carlin Brown, he really helped the team. All, being on the practice floor every day. And that's another thing. Yeah, we're not going to see Josh Fortune on, on the floor this year, but there is a benefit, a substantial benefit, to have a guy like that out there every day in practice as well. Even just for their perimeter defense, which was obviously an issue for them last Definitely. year. Having that guy in there that can just stroke it all day, you know, they're going to have to get out on him. Well, Spencer Dinwiddie also, uh, we haven't talked about this, getting drafted by the Detroit Pistons uh, in the second round kind of, where most of us expected him to go, there was a, a little bit of hope kind of with – you heard his stock was maybe going up at the end, but then you see some guys fall. Like Kyle Anderson drops to the final pick of the first round, so it makes sense of why a guy like Spencer coming off his ACL injury would fall to the second round. And I think he found a great fit in terms of the team drafting him. Yeah, Detroit is definitely a good fit for him. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, just you and I off the show, about how you know they're not – stacked by any means when it comes to the guard position um you had mentioned they just signed dj augustine but for, for a two-year contract yeah, though. Just they have not committed to him long term so you know there there's a place where spencer can do exactly what he expects to do which is go in there and prove that he belongs here and if he does prove that he's going to find a way onto the court because it's there's no one uh you know there's not derrick rose or kyrie irving in front of him that's going to keep him off the court. And they do have Brandon Jennings under contract for two more seasons. They've got Peyton Siva, former Louisville guard, and Will Bynum, former Arizona Wildcats, also point guards on their roster. But Peyton Siva and Bynum only have one more year on their contract. You look at that with Jennings and Augustine, two years on their contract. It's almost perfect situation. And I was even reading an article out in Detroit. They're not ex- the the management for the Pistons is not expecting Dinwiddie to really do anything this year, which is a great situation. But then on the flip side, again, they don't have this long-term commitment to their guys. Jennings has been a disappointment in the NBA because of his defense. He's got a really low shooting percentage. DJ Augustine's an offensive guy. He's not going to be your cornerstone stone point guard going forward. Siva and Bynum, uh, Bynum's kind of on the tail end of his career. Siva still trying to find his place in the NBA. So, if Dinwiddie becomes the player that he expects to be, and a lot of us, myself included, expect him to be, I think at some point he's going to be their guy going forward. Um, and, and it also helps he's kind of versatile. He can play either guard position as well once he gets healthy. And yeah. there's going to be playing time for him too, too when he's healthy. This Detroit team is not one of the contenders. And just to touch on this a little bit, I won't get into it because it's not even worth it. But, you know, the people who are doubting Spencer for going in the second round, there was no, I mean, he thought he should be a first-round pick, but there was at no point where he, you know, was going to be surprised that he was a second-round pick. He said it right in his parting press conference. It might not be a glamorous day for me or for Buff fans, 
but I'm confident in my abilities, and I think I'm, you know, one of, if not the best guard in this draft. So anyone who says, you know, oh, he, he shouldn't have gone because he got picked in the second round and guaranteed money and blah, 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 it's not worth even talking about. Do you have any expectations for his first NBA season? Didn't Spencer didn't we? No, I mean I, I'd like to see him maybe you know get type of uh, Andre Robertson type experience, just get out there and prove that he's healthy and just kind of you know get a little bit of a feel for the game before going going on and taking that next step next year. What I want to see out of him is efficiency. Because you look at the guards on their roster, a guy like Brandon Jennings and Augustine, these are like volley, they're like a Skia Booker type of guys. Yeah. And so if he can come in there, kind of like what he did at the World University Games, is be a real good glue guy, a guy that shoots at a high percentage and doesn't try to do too much, kind of like a lot of what we saw at CU as well. Which sometimes drove fans crazy. But I think that'll be perfect for perfect. him. Yep. Uh, especially with Detroit and the, and the other guys they have on their roster. Andre Robertson just completed his summer league work with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He played in four games, uh, started each of those four contests, averaged 29 minutes per. In those 29 minutes, he averaged 9.5 points, 8.3 rebounds, which ranked him third among all the players in the Orlando portion of the summer league. Two assists, 2.2 steals, shot a solid 48.3% from the field, but shot just Eight of twenty-five from the free throw line. Ugh. Yeah, that's. that's and only tough. made two of his six three-point attempts. You're, you're talking about if he goes out there and, and shows great. I mean, this he could step into the starting two guard role for Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Now they did sign sharpshooter Anthony Morrow here uh, during the free agency period, and, and Morrow shot forty-five percent from three-point range for New Orleans last season. Uh, he signed a three-year deal. Now, Oklahoma City did lose Cephalosha, to their, their starting two-guard, last season to free agency. I could see Oklahoma City sticking Robertson in the starting role because knowing with uh, Westbrook and Durant needing their shots and bringing Morrow off the bench. And then I, wouldn't th- I would think that Morrow would probably be the guy that's out there at the end of the game. Yeah, it's unfortunate that Andre hasn't been able to improve his free throw shooting because that's that's the number one thing that's going to keep him off the court. Hacker Robertson's going to happen if it's eight for twenty five. Yeah, exactly. The- You're, and as a defensive stopper, you know, I'm sure Oklahoma City would love to have him out there late in the game because they don't need someone to be able to take a big shot. They already have two guys that can do that. But like you said, if he's out there late in the game and he gets the ball in his hand, he's going to get hacked. He won't be. He's. I mean, he's going to exactly. have to improve that. And. I, I've, I've doubted Robertson at times in the past, and I've been dead wrong there. So maybe I'm doing the same thing again. But I don't know if his ceiling in terms of shooting free throws is ever going to be much higher than, like, 65%. If he could at least get 65%, though, you're not going to have teams intentionally fouling him. Yeah, yeah. that's. Uh, I actually said since, you know, his freshman year at CU that I thought he needed to rework his entire shooting stroke. Is it almost too late at this point? I think so, yeah. I think it – I mean – Obviously, you could go, you know, find Rick Barry and learn how to shoot underhanded, but uh, I don't think his jump shot is going to change, and I think it's going to hurt him. He puts side spin on the ball. That's just, it's just not yeah. the most efficient way to put the basketball into the net. Yeah. Another former buff basketball player, Colin Brown, is running with the uh, Denver Nuggets Summer League team through the first two Summer League games out in Las Vegas. He scored a total of 17 points in 36 minutes, so pretty good work out of him. He did average nearly 20 points, five rebounds, and five assists per game playing over in Israel last season. Carlin Brown, there really isn't a lot separating the end of the bench guys in the NBA and the guys that just can't stick in the league. There really isn't a big difference. Carlin Brown could be that guy. He's, I mean, he's averaging 25-5 and five over in Israel. 
I can't tell a guy what his desires and goals should be for basketball, but stay over in Europe, man. Yeah, yeah I think I don't think he is totally opposed to going back there. I think he, he'd be completely fine with that. But, you know, you got to take your opportunity to come out here and play in the summer league. Um, I think uh, someone on our board posted a cool story um, just a couple hours ago that they ran into him at the Bellagio and some of the Nuggets, and he, you know, he said the guy, he was really excited that the guy knew him as a buff. Oh, and cool. he hooked the, Carlin and the coaches hooked him up, uh, hooked the, our, our subscriber up with tickets to the game tomorrow night. So oh, very cool. That's cool for, uh, for him and to be able to reach out to the Buffs fans still. Yeah, I didn't mean – definitely you got to take your chance to play in the Summer League. And these European squads uh, teams are like watching these Summer League games. It's almost an audition. Even if you're not going to make the team you're necessarily playing for, I guess I didn't really make that very clear. In terms of CU men's basketball recruiting, this is kind of a busy time for them. Uh, they're out on the road recruiting uh, in July. There are three live periods uh, where the coaches are allowed to go out and evaluate at these club tournaments in person. The first one just ended July 9th through the 13th. The next one's the 16th through the 20th, and then the final one is the 23rd till the 27th. I thought this was kind of interesting. These live periods end at 5 p.m. on those days. Are they worried about these coaches not being able to get to happy hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, it's so weird. There's so many little finicky rules about it, and honestly, I think everyone in, in college, there's so many little rules. I don't even know if the coaches know if they're breaking a rule when they walk out of their house in the morning. But... Um, yeah, this is a very, very cool time. Um, uh, I know it is for me, for just for following basketball recruiting. Um, I know in the first live period, they got a chance to go and see Malik Harwell, who had been injured since um, April, and um, they were excited about that. And obviously, they're going to get a chance to see all the other guys. But this is a cool time because it, something, at least one new guy is going to emerge as a CU prospect, at least. You know, last year we went in um, to the evaluation period talking about how um, they had gotten George King, and that was their replacement for Trey Kell, who they were recruiting. Well, Trey Kell goes out and impresses the first day they're out there, and all of a sudden they're like, actually, we still do want Trey Kell, so we're going to go try and recruit him. And then all of a sudden he blows up, and everyone was offering him that, that week. But it's cool because stuff like that happens, you know. Um, Cameron, Cameron Walker last year, who's a 2015 guy, yep. was basically emerged on the scene with CU during the July live periods, correct? Exactly. So at some point, you know, at least once, and I do expect it to be more, but you know, something's going to come out on the Buff Stampede Elite board about there's a new guy all of a sudden, and CU is out there watching him today, and they really like what they see, and they're going to watch him tomorrow, and they'll probably watch him the next day too. So. So it's cool to start seeing who they're following and get a chance to um, really see this um, recruiting pickup. It just goes, you know, sky high all of a sudden. And I'll be out there um, in L.A. and Vegas um, trying to follow wherever they are and seeing whatever prospects are blowing up. So it'll be really cool. I think there'll be some good stuff out on the board. Yeah, you just booked your travel out to Los Angeles and to Las Vegas. You just got to avoid uh, parts of Las Vegas this year, right? Yes, I'm. Ex I'm hoping. Share, share, that, share that story on the air. Last year, uh, Will, Will and I were out there in Vegas, and uh, he he was going over to Bishop Gorman, and I hadn't been there yet. I was at another another gym, and so he said, you know, stay for this next game, and then come meet me at Bishop Gorman. It's about a 30 minute drive. So I get into I get into the car, and I start going out, and I program uh, Bishop Gorman into my Apple Maps, not Google Maps. That was my first mistake. <laughs> And it, it takes me to this really sketchy area, and I get up to the school, and there's boards on the windows, obviously not Bishop Gorman High School, one of the nicest facilities in the country. 
Um, and I'm, as I'm leaving, I pull up to a stop sign. Car rolls up next to me, uh, tells me to roll down my window. Hesitantly, I do. And, uh, you know, he asked, what, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm just looking for Bishop Gorman High School. And he goes, this ain't it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, kind of figured that out. As I'm saying that, he pulls out a gun, flashes it out the window, and says, don't get lost around here again. I hit the gas pretty hard, and I'm not going back to North Las Vegas anytime soon. Yeah, you can't... I trusted Siri too much. Last year, I was out in Las Vegas... Uh, not Las Vegas, Los Angeles for uh, Football Media Day, Pac-12 Media Day. And I'm trying to kill some time before I go to the airport, and, and Siri wants to send me through Compton to go, get to an In-N-Out Burger. And I was like... <laughs> I don't have enough street cred to go through Compton. <laughs> yeah, Will Will tells a story about how he used to have to um, drive through with some of his high school teammates um, through, I believe it was Compton, it might have been just another part of Oakland, but they had to stop at every stop sign and one of his teammates had to roll down the window and tell some guy who was about to run up on the car that he was good. So you have to be careful out there and, and hopefully I don't get my computer stolen in LA this year. And uh, hopefully there's no camcorder stolen as well. Yeah, it was cool. quite a trip you guys had last year. <laughs> before we before we wrap up this show, let, let's talk about this because I know it's a topic that CU fans are curious about. Askeel Booker is a senior. You've got this incoming transfer. Are, are, with the class of 2015, is Colorado going to sign two basketball recruits or is there a chance they might just sign one here in the early signing period? You know, you talk about this a lot with football and you say there's always attrition. And... It's not quite as um, common in basketball. You know, you can't count on this to happen every single year. But I, I really do believe that some sort of attrition will happen. It, it kind of always happens when it needs to happen. And they're, if I had to guess, yeah, I'd say they're going to sign two in this next period or in this next uh, class, just because you know, like I said. There's players on this team that you know might graduate or. There's might... always a st- like Shane Harris talks a couple years ago. We didn't even know until late during the season that he was done. He was going to graduate because he, he was a ju- redshirt junior at that point. There's always kind of these plans behind closed doors that. that mm-hmm. So if they sign two, you know that they kind of know how that's going to unfold. Yeah, and exactly like right now, I don't want to put out any names out there, but someone might end up wanting to transfer, and I don't know that for sure. Someone might graduate. It, Something is going to happen, I think, that's going to allow them to sign, too. We were going to talk about the, the top targets, but we've run so late on the show anyways. We'll, we'll hit that, especially after you're, you're done on the road. We'll get some new names from you, and we'll really break it down at that point. Uh, we apologize for going so long today. There just had been so much stuff that happened to you athletics-related since our last show, and we really wanted to hit on everything. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we're going to try not to make it another month here before we do another show. We'll be back here, whether it's next week or the week after. We'll come back with a show. Uh, we got to come back with a show previewing camp because that's going to start here not too long. Again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again soon.